So how long did you run the hostel for? Five years. And why did you stop? Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria. So instead of high tide line being maybe 50 feet from my back garden there, now after the hurricane, it was 25. Not to mention the storm surge. So, and, and that was all okay. But then usually in March, like when you get a really big cold front on the northeast coast mm-hmm. of the United States, it pushes, that energy pushes and turns it into waves. By that time it gets to Puerto Rico, that's where all their swell comes from. And that March, following the hurricane, they had the craziest uh, swells, like 30-foot waves for a week straight, which usually it it happens, you know, it kind of builds one day and you have a one day of crazy waves and it kind of falls off the next day. But it was a week straight of 30-foot waves and they were in my living room. You're listening to Humans Are Interesting with Namas and Scientific. What up, what up? Very special guest today, Sarah Aubrey. She is an incredibly intelligent, incredibly kind, and a truly interesting person, to say the least. Um, Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, Sarah is also a very old friend of mine. Wait, you're not an old friend. We've known each other for a long time, is what I'm saying. She's not an old person. <laughs> um, no shots Maybe old soul, Maybe. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Um, <laughs> how do we know each other? Math class. Freshman year. Math class. It was math class, uh-huh. wasn't it? I Mrs. Didn't... Greenlee. I, that's not ringing a bell. That was our teacher. Greenlee? Mrs. Greenlee, yeah. What does she look like? Olga Greenlee. Olga? Uh-huh. Olga is babushka from the motherland. Olga Greenlee, yeah. Olga. She's, she's Hispanic, actually. <laughs> she's amazing. She got me a job when I moved back here after the hurricane, working at her school as a garden teacher. So, you, our freshman math teacher got you a job in like your 20s? In 30? my 30s. Yeah. 2018. Okay. I have so many questions now. That were, <laughs> this was definitely not planned. So, why are you still in contact with our freshman year math teacher? Yeah. I ran into her at the grocery store. When you got back? Yeah. You ran into her at the grocery store and you recognized her? Of course. If I saw, I would have no idea who this is. If this person was sitting in the room with us, I'd have no idea who it was. No oh idea God. what she was. She was a pretty rad teacher. As a kid, it was always weird running into your teachers, like, outside of. Because, you know, you don't realize they have families it's and like stuff. It's like seeing a dinosaur. It is. It's like, you know they exist or like, existed, but you don't I actually see you lived them. in the classroom. Like, yeah, it's really just weird. I, I also taught her kids swim lessons when I was in college. So ah. we kind of had another another bond going on there. How do you have such, do you have other connections like this to old high school teachers? How's freshman history? Yeah. Freshman <laughs> Who PE? was that? Who was yeah. that teacher? I don't know. I don't know any of these teachers. I don't remember any teachers from freshman year. <laughs> oh, no. Don't tell her I don't remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know you have your bachelor's in science from UC Davis, and I know you have a master's. I don't remember where you got it from. From University of the Virgin Islands. University of the Virgin Islands. And did you have any particular interest within um, the degrees that you focused on? Yeah. So part of the reason why I chose that master's program is a lot of times when people talk about the wilds or the natural world, they kind of tend to leave humans out, right? Like nature is separate from humans when really Mm -hmm. like here we are 
living together, right? Coexistence really means living in harmony with all living beings. And they had a program that really emphasized on taking human needs and environmental needs and how they can work together, right? To be better for everyone. So obviously I know that you've had a pretty wide range of experiences. What are some of the places that you've lived at or worked at? Uh, I've lived on a boat in the middle of the ocean. I've lived and worked at a volcano national park in Hawaii, uh, in a cloud forest in Honduras, in a little fishing village in Baja, uh, in La Jolla. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, a you big left, old range you there. Left, yeah. You left out the most important one. Which one? Oceanside. Come oh, on Oceanside. now. Come on now. So, okay, you lived on a boat. What were you doing on a boat? Tell us why you lived on a boat. So, Scripps Institute of Oceanography, they've had this California Cooperative Fisheries Investigation Program where they've been studying all the currents in California uh, ecosystem since, like, the end of the 40s. So they have this really amazing data set of watching how plankton and minerals in the ocean and temperatures and the amount of oxygen have changed over a really long time, which is, is really special. So I was out on a boat uh, taking a bunch of water samples and net samples from different depths to kind of see what was out there. And one of the main reasons why they do it is they're in charge of estimating stock sizes for fisheries. So Starting in anchovy are huge fisheries, right? They bring in a lot of money, and they're also really important members of the ecosystem. And so they try to estimate each year how many of those can we harvest and still keep the population steady and increasing so that next year there's just as many to take from. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? That sounds yeah. really cool. What does a normal day look like living on a boat? Like what did you what did you do every day? Well, I had the the six p.m. to six a.m. shift, so I was up all night long, and uh, it was like a three hundred foot long, huge research vessel with a big A-frame winch in the back, right? And so we dropped different kinds of nets, and it would catch different kinds of plankton that then you collect and study with microscopes later, catch really crazy looking arthropods, which they're like this big, but they're clear. So you really can't see them in the water. And then you collect them from, you know, a thousand feet down. And it looks like the craziest alien you've ever seen. Sick. Yeah. It sounds really cool. Yeah, really cool. What's the craziest yeah. thing you guys ever caught? Or we're just looking. It's an arthropod and it's, Kind of got like an ant head and just really weird legs. It looks really? like, yeah, and it's probably like eight inches tall. Oh my god! And Crazy stuff being down there. Yeah, super, and it's some completely see through. So you're like, what? How is this even? It looks like. It, are they bioluminescent too? There are some, yeah, for sure, yeah. So what do those eat, and what eats those them? I don't. I really don't know. I don't know if really anyone knows, right? The marine environment's like the last great frontier. It needs to be explored. Yeah. It's basically space. Seriously, right? We know more about the moon, if I'm not mistaken, than we do. 
the yeah, so, yeah. They say we know more about outer space than what's living in our oceans. It's just pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. Random question. Totally not related. Good. But do you think? This is purely speculative, but do you think we still have prehistoric animals in the sea? Oh yeah, like dinosaurs. Oh, and for stuff? sure. I think oh, so too. For sure. I totally think we do. Yeah. Some crazy. I mean, have you seen like a oarfish? Those things look like right? sea serpents. They I mean, are prehistoric. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, whales Giant are teeth. prehistoric, right? They've been around since the dinosaurs. I'm talking like Leviathan. Mastodon, the, 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 crazy no, stuff down there. Megalodon, Megalodon, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The Meg. My son has this uh, this dinosaur book, right? And when we got this thing, he got it for his birthday because he's into dinosaurs. And I'm like opening this to read it to him, and I'm expecting like you know T Rex, Triceratops, Stegosaurus, and it's all these dinosaurs I have never heard of before. This book is legit. They probably just discovered them, right? Since we were kids. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And like, anyways, there's this dinosaur called like, there's like the Chronosaurus and the Mausosaurus, and there's this dinosaur called the Spinosaurus. And this thing, they think, was like dual water and land. Ooh, amphibious. And nice. so imagine basically like a more hunched over T-Rex, a smaller, more hunched over one, but having like a really big fin, oh, like a ginormous cool. fin coming out of its back. Cool. And I was like, this thing sounds like the most terrifying thing. Jeez. Imagine being in the water thinking like if you make it to land, you're still not safe because this thing is equally dope on land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, so in all your uh, travels and jobs, I know eventually you ended up in Puerto Rico. And from what I gather, it seems like Puerto Rico has a special place in your heart. And we'll talk more about that later. When you got to Puerto Rico, what did you end up doing that kept you there? So I had moved there originally to write my thesis and surf every day. (laughs) And I had had a dream in college with a girlfriend that one day we would own a hostel or some kind of guest house. Right. And I thought, oh, maybe in my 50s when... I've worked really hard and saved money and I could buy a really cool piece of property. Um, and I was living with a professional surfer who had some little guest houses and I was living at one of his spots and getting ready to move. And I was actually at Burning Man and I got out of Burning Man and had this voicemail. He's like, hey, can you move out a, a month early? And I'm like, OK, well, I'm in California, but I'll see what I can do. And I pulled up the classifieds, which is how you kind of find, it's like their Craigslist, how you find housing there. And the very first thing for rent right in the town I wanted to live was this huge beachfront mansion. And so just kind of popped into our heads that, oh, maybe I don't have to wait till I can buy. Maybe I rent this and see what happens, right? So I end up opening a surf and yoga hostel right there on a beach. Was It was pretty that, cool. The mansion? That was the beachfront mansion. That yeah. was the one? That was the one. How did you acquire this mansion? Well, it was for rent, so I just rented it. So you just rented it, and then you yeah, made it... Wow. Turned it into a business, yeah. Nice. So what it year... It was officially a wellness center. A wellness center, gotcha. Yeah. And you said a surf and yoga hostel, so were yeah. you guys, like, giving lessons? Uh, We worked, so it, it's in a, the western tip of Puerto Rico, which is highly sought after for surfing it has really amazing waves that are 
relatively gentle for their size, right? A lot of places around the world, you know, they really clobber you pretty good. And these waves are good quality, plus they don't clobber you quite as good. What was really cool is I had worked here for Noah and lived with my parents so I could save all my money and pay for grad school. When I got to grad school, I got a big grant from National Science Foundation that helped me pay for a lot of it. So all the money that I had saved then was available for me to start a business. Tell us what NOAA is. You mentioned NOAA just now. NOAA is National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration. So they're like the ones that study all our weather, all the fisheries, all the ocean stuff. They're kind of, they're under the Department of Commerce. So how long did you run the hostel for? Five years. And why did you stop? Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria. Well, it was crazy, actually. So the house was built by an architect and it had this really cool round structure, which is the best for, you know, you've got, imagine 150 mile an hour winds, right? And it's pressing against a flat surface, it's gonna move it. But a round surface, it has nowhere, it just goes right around it. So it was, it was like super strong. Nothing happened to it after the hurricane, but it was right on the beach and mm. there was a lot of erosion. So instead of high tide line being maybe 50 feet, from my back garden there. Now, after the hurricane, it was 25. Not to mention the storm surge. So, and and that was all okay. But then, usually in March, like when you get a really big cold front on the northeast coast mm-hmm. of the United States, it pushes, that energy pushes and turns it into waves by the time it gets to Puerto Rico. That's where all their swell comes from. And that March, at following the hurricane, they had the craziest... Uh, swells like 30 foot waves for a week straight which usually it it happens you know it kind of builds one day and you have a one day of crazy waves and it kind of falls off the next day but it was a week straight of 30 foot waves and they were in my living room (laughs) and so these waves were just crashing into your hostel Uh uh-huh yeah yeah they came right up on shore and I was about knee deep in water and the crazy thing is I live by a river mouth, which meant that we got lots of wood and debris mm-hmm. and trees and stuff. So then it's also like tree trunks, you know, like giant tree trunks. It was it was terrifying. The road washed out. We couldn't even drive back there. You had to like park outside the neighborhood and walk in. It was nuts. Power of hurricanes are insane. My family's oh. from New Orleans, so I went to right after Katrina and like the sea, like hurricane, like ripped concrete, like. It's just amazing to see how, Terrifying. Yeah, how powerful they are. Oh, yeah. She's the boss, man. Mother Nature is the boss for sure. Don't play. <laughs> Don't play. So I actually have a story from high school that I don't think I've ever told you before. It's okay. related to surfing, though. Um, I'm sure you've heard this for sure. Uh, so when I was in 10th, maybe 11th grade, or when we were in 10th, maybe 11th grade, um, my church was doing like a beach baptism thing. And... Whenever they would do it, it'd be like a big party and they'd barbecue and stuff. And we had uh, this guy that worked at the church who like was really into surfing, would bring a bunch of like softboards and longboards, like, you know, Fine. easy stuff. Right. You know, and I was like, dude, I'm going to like try this thing. I'm going to try this, this surf because, you know, I'm from Oceanside. I know a lot Heck of surfers, yeah. right? I was like, I'm going to try Play this Play with thing. the waves. Yeah. There you go. And so I had one of those softboards and I'm just like whitewashed basically, you know, but I was like actually getting up and like doing it on my first my first time and i felt really good about myself and so you should have yeah so the next day at school you know 
you remember the surfer wall where everybody, right? I, don't, I was friends with all those guys. So I'm over there telling everyone at the surfer wall about how I surfed on my first try and all this stuff. And I'm talking to Ben Waldron. Remember Ben Waldron? <laughs> yeah. And sorry for the inside stories. Sorry. And he's like, dude, you should come out surfing with me this weekend. And I was like, let, I'm with it. I don't have a board. Let me get a board. And he's like, cool. So that weekend, I go surfing with Ben Waldron, just the two of us. And red flag number one, my board didn't have a leash. Um, <laughs> so shame on you, Ben, for even allowing me to go out there. Ben. Shame on you. Shame on you. Man. And now, I'm not really a good swimmer <laughs> i don't really like swim i can like survive but i don't really like swim like that and i didn't really even think about this till i was doing it but i had never been in the ocean in a depth that i couldn't stand in in my life oh yeah so i just didn't think it through so i'm out there and i'm getting ready to surf and i'm just assuming i'm going to do it the same way i just did it in the whitewash whitewater warrior yeah right, but i'm but I'm out there with someone who actually the surfs lineup, and he's yeah. like still going and I'm, my ego won't let me not try to keep up. And I get to a point where he's way in the distance and I look and the shore is way in the distance and I, it just hits me. I'm like, yo, I'm in way, way, way over my head. Literally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so And you're a tall dude. <laughs> I am. Yes. <laughs> and so I go into like survival mode and I'm just like, all right, let me just try to like boogie board a wave end right i know what i've done perfect. i can do that right i can yeah, boogie board but i'll do that a wave comes i have no real awareness of other people that are around me or anything like that i'm just i'm just trying not to die <laughs> trying not to die so anyway so i started boogie boarding this wave in and i don't know if i like stole this guy's wave or something like that but this surfer is riding the wave and he just rams right into me i'm talking like the fins on the board break I go under, board's gone. He just hits me, right? So dangerous. Yeah. And so I go under and I look up and I notice I'm, I can't reach. So I try to push off the ground and there is no ground there to push off of. And I'm like freaking out. Oh, like no. it hits me like how deep this water is. I'm like, oh snap. And I'm like, yo, you are not going to die today. Real talk, this Hawaiian dude like sees all this go down and he like swims whatever over to my board and like swims it to me and literally like helps me back to shore oh. and basically saves my life. Jeez. Uh, a thank you card or something? I should have bought him, bought him a burrito or something. something. Shit, I, I was just kind of like, Hey, thanks bro. And he's, and he's just like, yeah, man. Sorry about that guy. He's a real jerk. And then just went back. Yeah, it was like, it was real. He's like, yeah, he's, he's a real jerk. He's seen that before. Yeah, yeah, he knows him. And then I just, you know, waited at the shore until Ben was done because he was my ride. And, uh, you know, then we went home. There you go. Nice. And you survived. And I have not surfed since. Well, I got a board in the car. Let's go. Not once. I went once. I was out there. A friend took me out there. I was out there, no lie, 10 minutes. Took a jellyfish to the face. I was like, and I never went back. <laughs> I never went back to hell. I was like, nope, nope. You really got hit with a jellyfish? Yeah, I went. I tried um. to get up. I went under, and I supposed to just sting like my neck and everything. And I come up out of the water. <laughs> I'm like, what is it? She's like, don't touch it. And it was just like stuck to my face. And like the next day, we went to Magic Mountain. My lips were all swollen. And like, I look like I got punched by like oh, Mike yeah. Tyson. You still bought that chicken leg at Magic Mountain. Oh, like, yeah, didn't I you? did. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> turkey leg, you mean? My bad. Forgive yep. me. The turkey leg. It was, I was like, I never, and I never attempted surfing again. I was like, yep, I'm done. 
that's that's divine intervention, I guess. Or something. Yeah. Like, I keep telling myself one day I'm going to like try to learn properly because it is pretty cool. But anyways, the reason why I even mentioned that was you said a sec earlier that uh, Mother Nature doesn't play. And that day I like learned I I learned to really respect the elements and oh, like. Yeah. She doesn't Check play. your ego real quick. So will a jellyfish. No, so <laughs> humble. So will a jellyfish. She, she's, she's Mother Nature's yeah, sidekick. Get that, get that point across. She's somewhere. one of Mother Nature's goons. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so Hurricane Maria pushed you out of PR, but recently I know you've been back in Puerto Rico. And so why are you back? What are you doing now? Yeah, so there's this group called Earthship. They create housing that does six things. It's usually made of trash and recycled materials, all natural materials. It collects and filters its own water. It handles its own gray and black water, so all the sewage systems. Uh, they all grow their own food. They create their own energy, and they're built to thermoregulate, right, to keep it a comfortable temperature inside no matter what's going on outside. And it's basically like an autonomous living structure. Uh, that's a much better way for people to live, right? And in places, especially where you have a lot of problems with power or water going in and out, you're completely independent of that, right? So I was kind of jocking them and like thinking they were cool for quite a few years. And after the hurricane, when I got back, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, you want to come help me? Like we're my friend had a bee farm and all the bee boxes obviously got blown away. And now they're going to build an Earthship community there. And do you want to help? And I'm like, what? No way. Like the Earthship here, they're, they're based out of New Mexico. They're like coming to my town. You know, <laughs> it was amazing. And so I met the crew. They actually stayed at my hostel and we started to build it and it's five structures and they're all hurricane proof and earthquake proof. Wow. And yeah, they're super amazing. So they have a phase, right? What they do is they raise money and they get volunteers and twice a year they'll go to Puerto Rico and just spend all the money and build as much as they can with as many people as they can. And it's been going on since 2018. So are you guys like building for people who just don't have housing? Or are you building for hipsters who want to live off the grid? Well, so it's a community center, right? So if there is another natural disaster, now it's a place where the community could come and get shelter and fresh water and have power and food. The family that lives there, their house was pretty well destroyed in the hurricane. So they're definitely benefited. You know, they donated the land. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of meant to be the first of many, right? Show people an example of, hey, there's a better way to do things. That's really cool. So I yeah. looked this up when you told me about it. And some of these airships, like, they look like they are exported from Disneyland. And then some of these communities, they look straight out of Star Wars. Yeah. They look yeah. like... The Ewok Village. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. or where's Luke from? Is he... Where's Beautiful. Luke from? Tatooine. Yeah, I was going to say Tatooine, but I didn't want to be wrong. said it, man. Tatooine, exactly. That's exactly what it felt like to me, which was really cool. Yeah. It's pretty special. Yeah. We have a link, too. Tell me about the, how the sewage works. Like, it doesn't... I didn't really get it, but it sounded really, really cool and smart. Yeah, so they have uh, botanical cells 
right? Where the gray water, that's like when you wash your hands or from the kitchen sink, all that stuff goes into cells that then grow food out of, right? It gets filtered through rocks and there's a lot of natural filtration that plants do anyways. And then black water systems are what comes out of your toilet and that they have their own botanical cells, right? And you don't put food in there, although you could, but uh, you don't grow food plants in there. The plants kind of clean everything from that. Wow. There's a stream running through the property, you know, so they'll regularly test the water to make right. sure because if anything's not working out with that system, right, it's going to show up in that stream water. and. It's good. Good to go. Super clean. Amazing. So uh, actually, we were talking earlier just about uh, not just Puerto Rico, but just the whole situation with the territories. A lot of Americans don't even really know much about them. So with all that went on with uh, Maria and they had a couple storms after that, I think Um, the power grid, you know, went down and just a lot. How are Puerto Ricans taking that? And like, do they feel kind of neglected by the United States or do they feel like the there's not enough attention going on to what happened like you know puerto ricans are extremely resilient and part of the reason why i fell in love with it and decided to live there in the first place is they're super family oriented and super community oriented so i haven't really ever heard puerto ricans complain about Mm -hmm. their situation or how they're treated by the government really about moving forward and helping each other and working with what they got. You know, they're not like, oh, we don't have power. Poor me. It's just like kind of a matter of fact and something that, you know, they live with. Sounds they're like they know such a good the best natured, of the bad situation. Yeah, they're such a good natured people. And I think the saddest thing about Hurricane Maria is that a lot of people lost their homes and left the island and so broke up these family groups, right? It was a really neat opportunity for to open people's minds of new ways to doing things after the hurricane. So like these earthships or improving the power grids, you know, infrastructure, growing their own food, you know, keeping their own water clean. They really began to realize like, hey, these are the essential things that we need and are important and it's been a really cool revolution you know a lot more organic farming and in just case the people out there listening don't really know anything about uh territories in the united states we have puerto rico guam uh america samoa and uh, the u.s virgin islands so those are the territories um and puerto rico was acquired after the spanish-american war one thing that's been an issue throughout puerto rico's uh history is this thing called uh statehood you know how do Puerto Ricans view that? Uh, I know they've had referendums that have turned it down. Is it something that you think maybe will be in the future of the territory? Or how is that looked at? I can't really speak to them. I know there's this uh, slogan where they talk about everything that Puerto Rico has. And it's not, you know, it's more than just a state. So I think they're kind of a little bit proud. One of the main things that, in the way that the U.S. government mistreats them is there's something called the Jones Act, which has to do with trade. So Puerto Ricans aren't allowed to import from anywhere except the United States. So anything that Puerto Ricans want or need, Mm. they have to get it from the U.S. And what ends up happening is that the 
China sends a boat to Florida with some goods, and Florida pays a tax to China, right, on this import tax. So then they put it on American boats and bring it to Puerto Rico. Then they charge Puerto Ricans their own tax, plus the one that China charge them mm. right double dipping Man. double dipping come on now come on Dang. now yeah talk and, about it and <laughs> it keeps and it keeps puerto rico dependent right and they don't get to vote in right. federal elections right so they're not really in charge of what happens to them right right the u.s government just gets to say okay now you have to do this and they don't ever get a voice mm-hmm. in whether or not that's gonna happen that's crazy Let's say you wanted uh, the U.S. mainland people here to know um, one thing about Puerto Rico. What would it be like one thing that you would you want uh, Americans to know about their fellow Americans on this wonderful island in the Caribbean? Yeah, I mean, I just I guess what I mentioned before is how family oriented they are. You know, Mother's Day, everything's closed because everyone's with their mom. Father's Day, everything's closed because everything's with their dad. Sundays is like where the family goes out and parties together, you know, and and they have all these beachfront bars, you know, and the whole family comes because the kids are dancing and everyone's interacting and it's really important to them. Like New Year's Eve is at midnight, you know, you spend all night long with your family and then at midnight, then you go out to the bars and are up till sunrise with your friends, you know? Sounds but fun. they're just so, family is the most important thing to them. And I really like that about their culture. It's really beautiful. You said, you just mentioned dancing. You told us before. Tell us a little bit about the drummer, dancer oh, dynamic that yeah. you see. Oh, yeah. So traditional <laughs> Puerto Rican music is called Bomba y Plena. And it's this really amazing dynamic. It's usually a bunch of drummers, you know, hand drums and Congo drums and acapella singers and it's a performance usually between one dancer and one main drummer and it's this dynamic where the dancer dances and the drummer has to create the music and the rhythm to match his or her movements and then they switch then the drummer plays music and the dancer has to match her movements or his movements to that song and it's kind of this back and really playful you know back and forth between dance and sound and it's really beautiful have you ever partaken in this yourself so it's you know it's really culturally important and if you're gonna be in a group it's like a, a band you know like i wouldn't just go up on stage and start playing with a band, right? right. I would practice. I would learn about all the significance. You know, the songs are all culturally significant. And it's culturally, right, as they're, like, growing up in the sugarcane plantations and stuff, right? This is a way that they were able to communicate with each other because obviously it was a huge slave population there. It's not a free-for-all. It's not a free-for-all, Yeah. So, no, I I didn't go to Bomba Plena school and do that whole route. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really my one of my favorite things, way to see Puerto Rican culture, for sure. To those listening, we'll post um, some links to information about Puerto Rico and the other territories of the United States. Uh, again, you're listening to Humans Are Interesting. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun, you guys.